Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. I want to welcome all of you this morning at our Valparaiso location. Welcome our online campuses, those of you watching in your living room. Maybe you're out of town this week traveling. Welcome North Judson and Hebron and Wanatal, MPH, Westville. Come on, put your hands together. Let them know that you're here this morning on this beautiful Memorial Weekend as we honor, we commemorate those that have paid the price for our freedom. I want you to take out your worship guides this morning, open up your sermon notes, and uh, if you have a Bible this morning, you can open that up as well, and you can go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going this morning. You've got a smartphone, maybe you got got version. you could use that as well. Matthew chapter 15. This morning, we've been in our series all year. We've been looking at questions that God asks, not necessarily questions we ask him, but questions that he asks us, and what is our response to those questions. And this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 15 on this account of this miracle that Jesus did. We're going to pick up on verse 29 in Matthew chapter 15. And the Bible says this, that Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he got up on a mountainside and sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Then the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind scene, and they praised the God of Israel. In verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. Verse 33, his disciples answered, well, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Verse 34, his question he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they replied, seven, and a few small fish. Let's pray one more time today. God, I thank you, Lord, today for your goodness. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And because of him, we can have relationship with you. God, we can come in your presence. And so, God, I just pray over these next few moments that God, you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds, Lord, to what it is that you want to say to us today. God, Lord, soften our hearts, speak to us. God, challenge and change every one of us. Lord, let us leave different than how we were when we walked in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, everybody, said amen. 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 The title of my message this morning is Different Place, Same God. Different Place, Same God. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this statement. Maybe you know it, finish it if you know it. A familiarity breeds, all right, you could talk to me this morning, that's okay. I know it's Memorial Weekend. Let, let's try it again. Familiarity breeds contempt. Some of, some of you know it, you know what it means, right? And, and really that saying, it's a, it's a saying that, that means if you know someone really well, right, you've been close to their life, you've, you've kind of seen the good and the bad, if you know them really well, then oftentimes you may stop not necessarily respecting them, but sometimes you just kind of see them on more a, a humanistic standard in a humanistic way. And because you've seen their bad qualities, you've seen 
the moments of life. Familiarity brings contempt. Like you see, like it always cracks me up, people newlyweds, right? You, you ask them, how are you doing? Like, oh, we just love each other. We never fight, right? We never argue. We never have, you know, any disagreements. We'll go talk to somebody 15 years down the road, and you've seen some things, right, that they get on your nerves sometimes. It's okay to say they get on your nerves. I know I get on my wife's nerves sometimes. But there, there's qualities that you have, you have seen in their life that you're like, man, uh, you know, that kind of that bothers me a little bit. Like, like uh, for example, my wife and my boys have, have, have got this trait. My wife leaves her drawers open all the time. I don't know why. She can't just push them back. But she leaves her drawers um, open often all the time and, like, close. And then I know there's, there's many things. Like, she, she, hates, uh, she hates the mere fact that, that oftentimes my shoes are just, like, everywhere. They're just all over the place. Like, her, my closet gets out of disarray oftentimes. And really, the quality that she really hates about me is I point out the qualities I hate about her. That's really the quality she doesn't like about me. Familiarity breeds contempt, right? And, and matter of fact, it was just a couple weeks ago, you know, I was, uh, I was, in, was in the vehicle, Pastor John and, and Pastor Lindsay, we were headed over to, to Hebron, to our full throttle campus. So we got like some cameras and stuff that we set up and we record and, and we kind of do like some online, you know, the pre and post service, some online thing. Now, Pastor John, many of you know, now a lot of times people get him and I confused. I don't know why. I don't think we look alike, but some people think that we do. A lot of people think we're brothers, but we're not. But Pastor John has actually known me for a very long time. Matter of fact, in November, we will celebrate our 20th friend anniversary. In November, we've been friends for 20 years. Why do we know that? Because we track that kind of things. We've already got a trip planned. No, I'm joking. We ain't going on a trip. But, but I know uh, Pastor John has known me for a very long time. I met him when he was in high school, and I was a youth leader just at the time. And, and Lindsay, many of you know, do not realize, Lindsay is actually uh, my wife's little sister, our worship leader. And so she, I, when I moved to Indiana, I think she was five or six years old, right? And now she's that old with kids, and right, she's gotten older. And so I've known Lindsay for a long time, and so they know me very well. So we're in, the, we're in the vehicle. I'm in my Jeep. We're headed over to Hebron. And we just, and I don't know why on this particular day, they just thought this would be a counseling session for me. But they begin to discuss about things in my life, character traits. And I don't know why we even got on this topic. But they said, you know, really, Pastor Matt, your problem is you, you are very sympathetic towards people, but you lack empathy. And I'm like, what do you mean I lack empathy? I was like, I do not lack empathy for people. I'm a very empathetic person. They said, no, you're very sympathetic person. You can look at a situation and be like, oh, that's a bad situation, but you could really care less about what's going. Pray for me. Apparently, I got a lot of character flaws in my life, okay? And I got so worked up. We're driving down State Road 8. I got so worked up. My, 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 my foot on the gas started getting quicker and quicker. And next thing I know, like I'm going by a cop, and I'm like, this is bad. And the cop pulls out behind me, and I'm like, great. Not only do I realize I suck as a person today, I'm about to get a ticket. And the cop comes to my window. He goes, sir, do you know I pulled you over? I'm like, yes, I was going fast. I was like, let me tell you why I'm going fast. I'm worked up now because my friends over here are telling me I like empathy. I'm good at sympathy, but apparently I lack empathy. And he just laughed. He goes, here's your license. You're clearly having a bad day. Just go on about your business. And then I go home as if that wasn't bad enough. I said, Leslie, can you believe what happened today? And I told her about the police getting pulled over, and I said, John and, and Lindsay had the audacity to tell me that I'm a very sympathetic, sympathetic person, but I'm a, uh, I like empathy in my life. She goes, I could have told you that. Is this news to you? I know you like empathy, and I'm like, clearly I have a lot of faults in my life. Say, so y'all pray for me, okay? Y'all pray for me that I be more empathetic towards people, not just sympathetic towards people, but, but it can be that way in our life that oftentimes 
familiarity when we're with someone or with a situation or with people, we kind of see the flaws. We see the things that, that they lack. But, but I also want to tell you, I often think, too, that familiarity brings uh, or breeds amnesia. I think the more familiar we are, oftentimes the more apt we are to forget. I think the more familiar we are, the more, the more we look at things that, that really just um, should be important, but we forget those things. Like it brings amnesia in our life, meaning we no longer remember the important things. We no longer remember what's going on um, in our life. Like you ever been that way? I, I'm not, I don't want to bust out PJ, but he just told me just this past week, him and his wife celebrated an anniversary. And it was how many years, PJ? 11 years, 11 years on the anniversary, and he called me that morning. He said, Pastor Matt, or he said, Matt, he goes, hey, guess what? He goes, I just uh, realized we had a golf meet that day, actually. So we show up to the school, and he called me. He goes, I got a funny story for you. So we show up to the school. We're loading up the students to go on a golf meet. He goes, guess what I realized today? I go, what? He goes, today is my anniversary. I go, that's not good that you just realized today. He goes, this is the best part. I, I, and because I'm thinking, oh man, you're probably in trouble. Did Kelsey remind you? He said, no, she forgot too. He said, the way we remembered, we were talking about our dog, Dallas. And when we got Dallas, and Dallas had to do with our, our anniversary, she was close to our anniversary. And then we were trying to figure out the day. And we both looked at each other like, oh snap, today's our anniversary. This is kind of a big deal, right? And if we're not careful, come on, we up, be honest, we can all find ourselves in those same moments in life that we just, we get so familiar. I'll give you another example. How many of you have been to come to church? You know Jesus. You've been serving Christ for five years or more now. Come on, let me see you raise your hand. Come on, don't be ashamed. Five years or more. How about 10 years or more? Keep your hand up. 10 years or more. 20 years or more. Anybody? Come on. Some. All right, look at that. Look at the, look at the amazing work of God in our life. I'll give you a spiritual example that familiar, we can get so familiar with God's work in our life that we forget what it was like to be lost again. And we can look at people in a judgmental way because they don't have their stuff together and they're not acting right, they're not talking right, and they're really just being a sinner because that's what sinners do. And we, can, we get so familiar, though, in our own walk with Christ that we forget, had it not been for his grace and mercy showing up in our life, had it not been for his power at work in our life, had it not been for Jesus dying on the cross for us, had it not been for his Holy Spirit bringing us to him and us surrendering our life, and had we not been in the game for a little bit long, but by the grace of God, we could be right where they are, but we have amnesia. I, I think familiarity also, also breeds this feeling of ordinary. I think we can get so familiar with things in life that, that things can just become ordinary. You often see it many times in marriage. The reason marriages get in trouble is oftentimes when they get to that 7, 10, 15, 20 year that they stop dating, they stop making time for each other. It just becomes ordinary. And, and my wife and I, we've even had these conversations before in our own life that the busyness of life comes, and if you're not careful, you feel more like a roommate than you do a spouse. Because you're just familiar. It's just ordinary. It's just happening. Right? I'm just going through life. Same, same way in our own spiritual life. We can, we can be, get so familiar with the works of God. We can get so familiar that we just come to church and we check a box, and it's just the ordinary it's just another Sunday morning. This is what I do. I get up. I go to church. I take notes. I write it down. I put it in my Bible. I go home Monday. I never think about it again. It's just the ordinary. I go to work, and I'm just there, and I, I forget that God has me here for a purpose. I go to my campus. I forget that God has me here for a purpose, and so it's just the mundane. It's just the ordinary. Jesus even had it in his own life in Mark chapter 6 
Verse 4, he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and, and he begins to teach and preach, and people look at him because they're familiar, and they're like, isn't that the dude whose dad was a carpenter? Like, how is he preaching this? How is he teaching this? Who is, who's, who's Jesus think he is? We know him. We remember him as just a little boy. He's in his hometown. And the Bible says that in Mark chapter 6, he can only do a few miracles because of lack of faith. They were familiar. And familiarity can also breed just this feeling of ordinary, that we forget what it feels like before we surrender. We forget what it feels like to, to have the passion and the love of God. And, and we look at this story, if I could take you back to Matthew, we look at this story and we see first at work, we see God's power at work in this story. We see the power of Christ because the Bible says that, that Jesus leaves this crowd and he goes to the Sea of Galilee and great crowds start coming to him. They're bringing in the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others. They're laying them at his feet and they're amazed as the mute begin to speak. The crippled are made well, the lame is walking, the blind are seen. And the Bible says, and they praise the God of Israel. Now if I could take you to Mark chapter 7, in Mark's account, he tells us why this crowd is gathered. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus shows up and, and he is... Um, already healed this man, this gentleman who was deaf and dumb. And, and so because of the healing, people begin to get stirred and, and people begin to say, oh man, if he can do that for that guy, then he could probably do something for my own family. And so, so now all of these people, he heals this gentleman and he's like, listen, don't go tell nobody because if you tell somebody, it might create a stir. And so sure enough, the man goes and tells everybody and everybody's like, well, snap, I got to get to Jesus as well. And so he shows up and, and it causes this great crowd together, including the Bible says the people who are lame, blind, dumb, and crippled. And Jesus heals all of these people. He heals all of the individuals who show up. Now, some of you that maybe read this story before, you know what happens already. Spoiler alert, the people shows up and they're hungry and he feeds them. But it's a different account. Like, like by a show of hands, and if you didn't know this, this it's no shame on you. How, how many of you did not know that there's two different feedings in the gospels? I'm asking, come on, show you, raise your hand. That's fine if you didn't. If you didn't know that he fed 5,000 and he fed 4,000, that is two separate. Anybody not know that? See, see, uh, this, this week, I'll, I'll tell you kind of how sermon prep happens around here. So Pastor Phil is way more better than I am. I know you already knew that, but let me just remind you. Like, like, his, like he's preaching next Sunday, and his message for next Sunday was done last week, already done, oh, like on last Monday. It was done. Matt, he preaches probably uh, in two weeks, and, and his message will be done Monday, probably Monday, Tuesday. He'll walk in the staff meeting, and he hands his notes to the staff. Here's what I'm preaching about. And everybody's like, oh, this is such a great message. This is so going to be good. Me, on the other hand, you ask me on Monday what I'm preaching about, I ain't lying. I ain't got a clue what I'm preaching about on Sunday yet. My, my, my process is a little bit different. I, like, I, I spiritualize it, and I like to say I, like, I let the word marinate in my heart for a little bit before I put it on paper. That's my spiritual way of saying it. But really what it is is I like the discipline to sometimes just sit down and write. So this week, and every week I'm preaching, Kyle who, who is our media manager and, and our office manager, he'll always say, like, oh, Pastor Matt's preaching this week. Well, we won't look for sermon notes till Thursday. We know how this works. And so, so Lindsay texted me Monday. She said, hey, uh, hey, what are you preaching about? Or texted me Tuesday. She said, what are you, do you even know what you're preaching about? They don't even dare ask me on Monday anymore. She texted me on Tuesday. What are you preaching about on Sunday? Do you know yet? I said, yeah, I'm preaching on the, the feeding of the 4,000. And she texted me back, and I could... I could feel the attitude, Monica, through the text. She goes, well, you better check your theology. You mean the feeding of the 5,000? I texted her back with attitude. I'm like, you better check. You reading your Bible because there's actually two different feedings. 
feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Go read your Bible, girl. That's what I said. I didn't say it like that. But, but it happens that way in the gospel. And let, let me paint the picture for you because it's important that we understand Jesus' work at power, that there's actually two different feedings. Here's the, it's not in your notes, but you can jot it down if you want to know this and go study it. Go fact check me on this. Go study it. Don't take my word for it. But the feeding of the 5,000 takes place, if you go look and you read, it actually takes place on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it's a Jewish environment. There's a lot of Jewish people in that community. And, and the feeding of the 4,000 that we're reading about today, two separate feedings, the feeding of the 4,000 is, is at the south is at the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And, and it's in this place around Decapolis. And, and the feeding of the 5,000 is at a Jewish kind of town, a Jewish environment. The feeding of the 4,000 is a Gentile environment. It's on the southern end. Um, the feeding of the 5,000, there's also a different number of loaves. Go read, in your, go read, go study this week. The feeding of the 5,000 was fed using five loaves and two fishes. The feeding of the 4,000 had seven loaves, and the Bible says, and a few little fishes, different amount. So we know these are two separate accounts. Not only is it a different location and a different number of loaves, the Bible tells us that there's different quantities of leftovers. When you read about the feeding of the 5,000, there was 12 baskets that remained after Jesus fed the 5,000. And when he fed the 4,000, the Bible tells us that there were seven baskets that were left over. Seven, so 12 and seven. So what I love already in this story, when we see the work of Christ at work, and when we look at it in that context, that these are not the same event. These are two different events that happened. 5,000 men, doesn't count women and children in the Bible, but 5,000 men at one location, 4,000 men at another location. We see that these are two different areas, two different locations, and yet Jesus' power is still at work, which tells me and reminds me that Jesus is no respecter of person, that he can show up at any moment, that Jesus' power knows no boundaries, that, that you and I, we should dare not limit the power of Christ at work in our own life because we see him do it on the north side of the sea. We see him do it on the south side of the sea. We see him do it in a Jewish community. And we know that Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is first for the Jews, but then it goes on and says it's also for the Gentiles. That is us. So he's on the north and he's on the south. And, and what I love about the power of Jesus, what I love about the power of God, that he cannot be deterred by location. He cannot be deterred by boundaries. That when God is one place, what he can do in one place, he can surely do in another. What he can show up in one person's life, he can surely do in another instance. That God's power, there is no limit to what he can do. Yeah. All right. There is no limit to how he can work. And oftentimes we think the opposite of that. And we know too that this is a life lesson he's given the disciples. As you study the text, he does the feeding of the 5,000 on the north part of the Sea of Galilee to show the disciples, listen, you're going to reach the Jews. He does the feeding of the 4,000 on the south side of the Sea of the Galilee to show them you're also going to preach the Gentiles. And isn't that his great commission when he goes to his disciples before he ascends to heaven? It's what he tells us. It's what he tells them. Go to all the ends of the earth and preach the good news. There is no certain people group. There is no certain class. There is no society. There is, there is no ethnicity that the gospel is limited to. He reaches everyone with his power. So we see the power at work. And then we also see the provision of Jesus in our text today. Because verse 32, he calls his disciples, again, picture this, 4,000 4, men, not including women and children, on a 
out in the wilderness, out three days journey. And he says, he says, I have compassion for these people because they've already been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. This crowd of 4,000 men has journeyed, 4,000 just men, not including women and children, but they have been on this journey with Christ now for three days. So watch this. They've most likely used up their own supply of food. It's not that they had nothing. Watch. It's that they used what they already had. And now they found themselves empty. Now they found themselves lacking. And the first motive of this miracle that Jesus has was simply to show them that he is the God that has the provision to meet their need. Not just in the now, but also in the next. Not just where I need it the most in my life, but to also get you where you're going in life. Now, now we know, again, the power is already at work. We know, again, the people, the Bible says the people has already glorified God because of all the miracles that he has done. So, so, so the feeding of the 4,000 is not to prove that himself or to prove his power to the people. They've already celebrated his power. They've already seen it work. They've already seen the miracles. But, but now he's wanting to take them a step further, and he's wanting to show them He's wanting to show us, listen, I have not just the ability and the power to work in your life, but I can also meet your needs that you have. Because he was concerned that they were about to leave and they were about to go home. He's like, I don't want them passing out on the way home because can you just imagine what they would have been tweeting out? Can you imagine what they would have threw up on Instagram as people walked up and saw a group of people just passed out, hanging out with Jesus for three days? Oh, look at Jesus. He don't even care about nobody. He just sent everybody away hungry and now everybody's collapsing. What kind of God is he? Like, could you just see kind of the context of and so, so what Jesus is saying, that listen, is not only, he says, not only do I have the power to do miracles, but, but I'm a God that has a provision that he wants us to understand that in him there is no lack. In him, not only is there no limit to what he can do, but there is no lack that he has, that, 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 that there is no lack of his power, that he can meet the needs in our life. That not only was he going to feed them with bread, but he would later tell them in John chapter 6, and he tells us, that I am the bread of life. I am your supply. I am your source. And sometimes we think totally the opposite. We think we're our own source. We think we're our own supply. Well, man, my finances are just disappearing. And so you know what I got to do? I need to get a second job. I just got to work harder. You know what? My kids aren't, aren't acting right. So what I got to do? I just got to be a better parent. What, you know what? My marriage is going through things, so, so I just got to be a better spouse, and there's nothing wrong with that thinking, but oftentimes in that own thinking, we begin to take the power out of his hands, and we put them back in our own hands, and we forget what Psalms 15 and 10 is, that, that he's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hill, that there is no lack in his resource, there is no lack in his supply, that he has exactly what I need now, but he has also what I need to get me to my next. He has also what I need to get me to that next job, to get me to home, to get me to that next promotion, to get me to that next mindset to get me to help me to raise that kid that he has in my life that there is no shortage of his supply and we forget that God owns everything and he can meet our needs easily we, we, we see the power at work of Christ we could talk even more about his provision but what I really want to talk to you about today is the problem I see in the text 4,000 people 4,000 men not including women and children Three days journey away from home, out in the middle of the wilderness, 
nothing to eat. They've ran out of supplies. Jesus says, I can't send them away hungry. He says, we got to feed them. And in verse 33, watch what happens. Well, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? You see the problem? 4,000 men, not including women and children, hungry, three days' journey away. Jesus says, we can't send them back home because they might collapse. They might faint, and then it's going to be a bad rep, and then we've got to do PR work. That ain't going to be good for our ministry. So we need to do a miracle in their life. we got to give them some food. And then the disciples say, okay, that's cool, Jesus, but where in the world? We're out in the middle of nowhere. Where are we going to get enough bread in this remote place? Do, do you see what the problem is? I, I don't know if you see it. I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is, is very apparent to me. Is, is the evidence is here that the faith of the disciples were defective. I'll say it like this. The problem was not the hunger in the crowd. It was the hesitation in the disciples. The crowd was hungry for sure. But the disciples were hesitant. Well, what? Are we going to do? Instead of saying, I'll throw up my hands and praise you again and again, you know what I often do? I just throw up my hands. <laughs> Come on, don't look at me like, y'all don't do that. I don't know, God, what you going to do? I don't know what we're going to do about this situation. God, I've never been here in this place before. God, I don't know what you're going to do about my marriage. God, I don't know what we're going to do about raising my kids. God, I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to get the joy that I need. God, I don't know where I'm supposed to get the peace of mind that I need in my life. God, I've got all of these People, I've got people in my life that have hurt me and they've done me wrong, and I know I need, but I don't know where I'm supposed to get the strength to be able to forgive him. Do you see what the problem is? It's the hesitation of their faith. And isn't the enemy so good at doing that to us? That he'll get us to hesitate, and because we hesitate, we never take that step of faith in our life. Because we hesitate, we never take that step of trusting God. Because we hesitate, we find our faith. And watch, the problem was not the lack of food in this instance. The problem is the lack of faith in the disciples. And oftentimes, listen, don't judge them too harshly now. Oftentimes, we can be the same way. Because we have these things in our life that can limit our faith. What And what is it, and there's a lot that I could talk about this morning, but what are some things, I think one thing we see in our text that limited their faith is first we see them, number one, they're in unfamiliar territory. They, 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 they don't, that they're on the southern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's different. It's a different place than, than, than what they were earlier. And so now they find themselves, and listen, it's so easy to trust God when it's familiar. Come here, Trey. Come here, help me out, Trey. Come on, come on, buddy. Come on, PJ. And, 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 hey, Gabe, will you come help me? Come here real quick. And, and come here, Trey. Come on, come on up here. Why are you looking all scared? Come on. Why? Trust me, kid. I want you to turn this way and face this way. Turn this way, face this way, and, and come here, PJ. And, Gabe, you stand here across from PJ and face him. And, Blake, come here, man. Come here, Blake. Yeah, come on. Come on, yeah, just face each other. And uh, did you pitch? Have you pitched recently? My man's a pitcher at Valpo. And uh, come on up here real quick. I want you to stand right here. Stand right here. And then Caleb, come and help me, my man. Come help me, Caleb. And you stand right here next to Gabe. And I want you to face Blake. So stand right here. And, and so this is, this, is, this is what our relationship with Christ kind of looks like sometimes. And come here, Trey. Come step back. Now, Blake, face that way. There you go. There you go. And then Caleb's going to face you. This is, this is how we do. Now, when I want you to fold your arms, right? Fix your hair. And I'll just put your arms out. Put your arms low, too. Like, let him fall a little bit. And there we go. You're good. And then whenever you're ready, put your arms up. 
put your arms out. We're going we're gonna to catch Trey is what we're going to do. Oh, we're not we. Y'all going to catch Trey. And so whenever you're ready, Trey, I want you just to fall backward and relax and just let him go with it. Just go. Go with it. Let him go with it. Uh, there you go. Caught him. All right, come on. Do it again. Do it again. Go a little bit lower. Go a little bit lower. There you go. Now fall back. Fall back and, and just trust him. There you go. That was a good one. That was a good one. And so this is what we do. It's easy sometimes, and once we've seen it once or twice in our life, just to trust God. Go ahead. Trust him again. Like, oh, he caught me last time. Go ahead. Go ahead. Fall again. Oh, he caught me last time. He'll catch me again, right? And then once it begins to get familiar, get ready again. Once it's familiar, it's easy for us. Like, Trey's not even worried about it now. Just whenever you're all ready. Whenever you're ready, buddy. Go ahead. You ain't got to look back yet. <laughs> They're ready, dude. You're supposed to trust them. They ain't going to catch you. Just go ahead. Whenever you're ready, just fall. Just fall. And look, so now this is what our faith is. We ain't even got to look. Go ahead. Go ahead. Fall again. We ain't even got to look. We know God's there, right? But what happens sometimes, now come down on the floor, gentlemen. Come down on the floor and sit right here. What happens oftentimes, do the same thing. And now turn around this way. Now next we go into the balcony. No, I'm joking. I'm messing. Now watch. It's easy to trust God. <laughs> I use my own son in case a lawsuit happens. Thank Brother Paul, the chance of a lawsuit is very minimal in this one. So, so if something goes sideways, we're all safe. There you go. Now just lower your hands just a little bit too. So it's easy to trust God when we see it over and over again. But when the circumstances and the situation changes, whenever you're ready, fall back. Step right here. Whenever you're ready, fall back. Cross your arms. Cross your arms and fall back. Fall back. Gabe's got you. Go. Gabe's got you. He ain't going to let you fall. Go. <laughs> Go on, dude. You got it. Go. Come on. You got to hurry. I'm, I'm on a limited time. Here we go. There we go. You're a little stiff. You're a little, don't tighten up. Just relax and trust them. Relax and trust them. Go. Relax and trust them. There you go. That was better. One more time. One more time. One more time. Last time. Come on. They got it. They got you. They got you. Watch. There you go. Give it up for Trey. Give it up for Trey. Now watch. It's easy. Wait. Stay here. Stay here. It's easy to trust God when it's here because I've seen it before. But what happens when it changes and it's different? I've never seen that challenge before. What happens when it changes? Watch out, Trey. And the problem's a little bit bigger. Come on. Come on, you ready? Hold the mic. What happens when the situation, right, when the problem is smaller? Pastor Phil, do you want to do this? Should we see Pastor Phil try this? Pastor Phil. Come on, Pastor Phil. You got you. Uh -huh, I flipped it on you. Did you see that? I did it first before you could come get me. Ha-ha. Now stand up here. And when the situation, what happens, now I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but what happens when the problem is even older? Now I don't mean it like that, but listen, I can break a mindset after five weeks, but what about five months? What about five years? What about when it's something that's generationally been passed down onto me? Oh, I know God can do it because I've seen him done it for my grandpa, but can he do it in my own life? And, and we find ourselves, come on, turn around, Pastor. Turn around. Come on. Yeah, I got you. I got you, boss. Whenever you're ready. Oh, Lord Jesus. Don't let this go bad. Come on. Whenever you're ready. Oh. <laughs> Give it up for everyone. Give it up. Good job, Trey. Now next. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But watch. But, but listen. 
This is what happened in their own life. We judge them so harshly, but we can be the same way in our own life, and we can find ourselves changing moments and changing territory, and we can find ourselves with big problems and small problems. Oh, I know God can, can give me deliverance here, but I don't know if he can deliver me there. I know God can break this mindset of here, but can God break this mindset of over there? I know God can do it here, and I've seen him do it in my life, and if we're not careful, we'll often think that God's power is limited just to a location in our life. I get that it looked a little different for the disciples. On one miracle, they was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And this miracle, now they're on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. It looked a little bit different. In, in the feeding of the 5,000, there was five loaves, but now there's seven loaves. However, watch this. What Jesus did is both times he used whatever was available. And really, isn't that what the gospel is all about? Isn't that really what Jesus is all about? It's not about me coming and getting it all together myself. But when I surrender my life, it's just about being available. It's just about surrendering to him in my marriage, in my finances, when it comes to raising my kids, when it comes to having an impact in my community. It's not, God, I have all the answers. God, I have all the right uh, resources. But God, what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. God, what, what I do need, I'm just going to relax. And I'm going to trust you. And isn't, that the, isn't this the lesson for all of us? That we're, that we're good at serving God when it's familiar. We're good at serving God when it looks like the last time. We're good at serving God when it, when it looks like what he did for someone else. But what about those moments in our life when Jesus looks at us and says, whatever you have, it's enough. Well, whatever the surrender you have, it's, it's enough in your life. And, and simply watch this. It's never the issue, a supply is never the issue as long as you and I are going to the right source. See, the supply that we lack in our life, that's what, that was the problem. In some of their eyes, there was no bread, but listen, the, 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 what, the problem that they missed out, their faith was limited because it looked unfamiliar. But when we catch who Jesus is, when we understand who God is, that he is our source and he is our supply, that when we understand that he is the one, the Bible says that he meets all of my needs according to his riches, that he has a cattle on a thousand hill, that there is no lack in him. And when he is my supply, all oh, the source never runs out. So they have oftentimes in our own life, unfamiliar territory can limit our faith. You know what else can limit our faith? Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. That's really what had happened in their life. They forgot. They had just forgot about the 5,000 being fed. And, and here they are. And if you go look, the feeding of the 5,000, it's in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 is where it starts. Who's got a Bible on them? Like a, like a Bible Bible. Anybody got a Bible? Caleb, you got a Bible? So fact check me on this, Caleb. From Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, to our text today, Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, I'm pretty sure there's 53 verses. Fact check me on that. If I'm wrong, just yell it out. I'm pretty sure it's 53 verses. So, so watch, 53 verses separated the feeding of the 5,000 to the feeding of the 4,000. A large crowd in the, in the middle of nowhere in the feeding of the 5,000. A large crowd in the meeting of the no in the middle of nowhere with the feeding of the four thousand. And Jesus looks at them 
He says, I don't want to send them away hungry. And then watch, their response is what? Go back to our text. What is their response? Where in the world are we going to get enough bread for this? They forgot. Just 53 verses, what he had done. They, they forgot about the miracle that he just made to even a larger crowd. And listen, they, they say in the psychology, they say that we, we often struggle with memory and forgetting this, but they say one thing to help with that, they, they, call, this, they call it this, acute-dependent memory. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have a good memory. I don't remember a lot of things in life. Uh, that's another uh, character trait that apparently I was made aware of on the same day of how my memory lacks in our certain areas. And I don't know if it's just because it's not a big enough deal for me, but there's a lot of, like my wife has a great memory. She can say, don't you remember that one time when Mason was four years old and we had this conversation and he said, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't remember what I said one day ago, much less a conversation that I had then. And, and, and she'll make, don't you remember, you know, that one time that, that, you know, the kids, we went and we did this. And don't you remember? And like, I'll even see photos and I was there. I see myself in the photo. I'm like, I don't remember this trip at all. Like, where was I? <laughs> and uh, like my sister, uh, Amber, she's really good. With, with memory and remembering things, I think she makes up half of the stories from childhood, but she, rem she remembers a lot of things that I don't. But they say that, that you and I all have memories inside of us, but sometimes they're just cue dependent, meaning this, you have to like see something or, or maybe smell something and it reminds you of that moment. Like I'll give you one, I see a lot, a lot here because I work here, but the hallway that leads to our preschool area up the right, those doors, that used to lead to outside, for those of you who have not been here for the, for the whole remainder, which I know is many of us, but those doors used to go outside and that was a driveway, like a, like a pull-up that people would drop people off. And I remember the first, every time I look at those doors, I remember the first time I ever saw Leslie walk through those doors on a Sunday morning and she caught my attention and she caught my eye and I'm like, ooh, that's gonna be my wife? I know she is in the name of Jesus. I remember that when I see those doors. She remembers how much she hated me when we first met. And, but I remember that when I look at those doors. I remember the first time I saw her. I remember other things in life. Maybe it's a smell um, that does something. Like I, re I remember vividly uh, the first time, and some of you have heard my uh, story on this, but a lady in Kentucky that, that, uh, that butchered a chicken one day, and I was only like four years old, and, and she said, hey, let's, I was hungry for chicken, and she said, well, let's go make some fried chicken. I thought we was going to go, like, go buy some fried chicken. I did not realize she was going to go snatch up the chicken, hang it up on a clothesline, and like chop his head off right in front of me, and it was, it was crazy. Yeah, like I vividly, every time I see my chickens, I'm like, you don't even know what could happen to you sometimes. Like I, I, I remember that, that memory, and, and so it's these things, and so watch, when you look at, at the story, go back and read it this week, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Go read Matthew chapter 15, our text, and look at them back and forth. In Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says there's a large crowd. Well, Matthew chapter 15, what was it? A large crowd. In Matthew chapter 14, they were, they were out in the middle of nowhere. In Matthew chapter 15, they're out in the middle of nowhere. In Matthew chapter 14, they ain't got no food, except for a little bit. In Matthew chapter 15, they don't have no food. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus says, hey, we should probably feed them something. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, hey, we should probably feed them something. All of these things that psychology tells us, these Q Dependent things happen to the disciples, and yet, watch this, they're oblivious to what's going on around them. They're oblivious. They have 
not the ability. They are lacking remembrance and memory and mindful attention of what Jesus had did. They didn't know what to do with the hungry crowd, yet they had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people 53 verses earlier. And I wonder in our own life, hear me this morning, that just like the disciples had already forgot about the miracle, I wonder how oftentimes you and I in our own life, we forget about the miracle working power of Christ. And we have our faith lacking because we forget about how God healed us last time. Oh, I know this time is different. I know this is a different place, but he's still the same God. I, I know this is a different trial, but he's still the same God, I know this is a different person I got to forgive, but he's still the same God at work in my life. I know this is a different child. I mean, God, I know you saved my first kid, but have you met my middle kid? Because my middle kid drives me crazy. And my middle kid is hard-headed, so I know you did it for him, but I don't know. He, it's a different situation. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? But he's still the same God. And I wonder for you and I how oftentimes we have to find ourselves reminding ourselves, and we have to remember what God has done. And if we got to re remind ourselves and remember how he moved in our life. Because this is what I've come to understand. You ever heard this quote, experience is the best teacher? That's a bunch of lies. Experience is not the best teacher. You've seen it before because somebody can experience the same thing over and over and over again and never learn their lesson. We can experience the same hurt and still never forgive. We can experience the same pain and still never let it go. We can experience all of these things in life and never learn our lessons. So experience is not the best teacher. You know what the best teacher is? Memory and lessons from our experiences. That's the best teacher. When I remember how God showed up last time, when I remember how he saved me, he can save my family the same way. When I remember how he used me to impact that last situation, he can use me again to impact this next situation. When I remember that how he used me in high school, he can use me in college. When I remember how he used me at that last job, he can use me at this new job. When you and I begin to remember the lessons and the experiences, listen, oh, I know it's a different place, but he's still the same God. I know what you may be going through this morning. Pastor Matt, you don't get it. It looks different. That You're right. But he's the same yesterday, today, and forever is what my word tells me. That his love never fails. That his power never ends. That his supply never runs dry. Listen, that he is the same God. And what I love about this story, watch the patience of Christ. Come on, Lindsay. The patience. And this is really the encouragement that we all need this morning. Because I don't know about you, if you're honest with yourself, we can all find ourselves forgetting what God's done. We can find ourselves limiting him because our location has changed. But watch the patience, Jesus. Verse 34, the crowd, same thing from Matthew 14 to Matthew 15. Large crowd, out in the middle of nowhere, hungry people, disciples. I don't know what we're going to do. Their response should have been, well, hey, you got to have to do what you did last time. That's what you're going to have to do, Jesus. If you're feeding them, it's on you. But instead, they're like, I don't know what we're going to do. So Jesus looks at them, and he says, how many loaves do you have? I, I kind of read it more like this, that Jesus is like, oh, how many loaves do you have? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to do it again. I got to remind you. <laughs> how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. You would think at some point, like, it would trigger, like, oh, snap. I get it. I know what he's doing. But he tells the crowd to sit down on the ground, then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he gave thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. And verse 37, watch what it says. 
They what? All. Who? They what? All ate and were satisfied. I ain't gonna lie, if I was Jesus, y'all, I would look at the disciples and be like, listen, y'all done ticked me off. You don't remember what I did last time. I'm feeding everybody, but you ain't eating. You gonna have to wait till we get home. That's what we're doing. That's what I would have done. I ain't gonna lie. That's probably how we responded. Like, don't you remember what I did last time? Why are you doubting? So listen, watch this. Now you're going to really learn your lesson. And I'm going to bless everybody, but I ain't going to bless you. That's a lot of times how we think God is with us. Because our faith is lack. Because we've forgotten. We think he's sitting in heaven saying, oh, well, listen, well, since you doubted me this time, watch. I'm going to bless somebody else, but you ain't going to get yours. No, that's not the God that we serve. That's not our Heavenly Father. The Bible says that they all ate and were satisfied. And after the disciples picked up seven baskets full, they started with seven loaves of bread. Now they got seven baskets full of broken pieces that are left over. Jesus began, watch, he began his work by putting the people in position to be served. And he commanded the multitude to sit down. And they saw that there was very little in what they had. But when they put it in his hands, it became not just enough, it became more than enough. And the Bible says that every one of them ate. And seven baskets, it's different than the 12 baskets we read about in Matthew chapter 14. These seven baskets that the Bible, when you study it out, it's more like hampers. It's more like, like these large baskets. It's the same kind of basket that in Acts chapter 9 that, that Paul, uh, he, he's lowered, that lowers Paul over the Damascus wall. It's that, it's that large of a basket. That's how much the abundance was in this miracle. And here are the disciples who probably had every right to not partake. They had every right to not be a part of it because they had doubted. They had no faith. They had forgot who Jesus was. But he welcomes them, he welcomes them right to the table just like he does you and I. When we doubt, when we struggle, when we say, God, I don't know if you can do this. Jesus is like, I'm going to show you I can. I'm going to remind you who I am. I want you to stand. And even after that miracle, if you go read on this week, they still don't get it. Because after this miracle, they get in the boat, and they're headed now off to somewhere else, and they forgot the bread. They're like, oh, snap, we forgot the leftovers. What are we going to do? And Jesus looks at them. He says, hey, uh, heads up, beware of the yeast and, and the bread. And he's really talking about the Pharisees and the religious people. They get nervous because they think he's talking about the bread. They're like, we forgot the bread. He doesn't say beware of the yeast and the bread. We forgot the bread. What are we going to do? Now we ain't going to eat again. And the Bible says again later on in the text that he has to look at them again and be like, guys, why are you arguing about bread? Don't you remember what I just did with the 5,000 and the 4,000? Trust me, we're going to eat, boys. We're going to be fine. And yet he was always patient with them. And listen, for you and I, it's the same way in our life. When we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves doubting, when we find ourselves forgetting the wonders and the miracles of God, oh, I know it looks a little bit different for you today, but he's still the same God. I know what you're facing today. What's the trial that you're going through? You say, Pastor Matt, I've never been here before. I know you haven't, but he has. Pastor Matt, I've never faced this obstacle. I know you haven't, but he has. Pastor Matt, I've never got this doctor's report. I know you haven't, but he knows what it is, and he knows how your body operates. He's still a healing God. He's still a miracle-working God. So for prayer this morning, here's two questions I have for you if we kind of let the Holy Spirit talk to us. Here, here's two questions I want us to pray about. What is it in my life that I am overlooking because it looks different? What is it in my life that I'm even limiting God's power because it looks different? I'm missing out on his hand because it looks different. And what is it in my life that I am forgetting or I have forgotten? 
You forgot about the miracle working power of God. You forgot already what he's done for you. Revelation 12 and 11 says it like this, that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, our stories of his miracle working power. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.